there's a hard teleology, right, where um, liberal democracy and like, I guess a Hegelian sense, a Fukuyamaian sense, is is the end point of history, where you know things have unfolded to the point where this is the truest expression of uh, human freedom, and I suppose also human bondage, right? That this is the end state. You know, there's this um, conception, but the um, I don't know the 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 contingent fact that the contingent aspects of this are really interesting i think whenever you bring because because you can look at it in terms of like idealism versus material materialism but you can also think of it in terms of uh structure versus contingency right right and i think that they're able to resurrect a lot of really interesting agency out of history which i think is really powerful um whether it stands on its own in terms of the evidence uh, going back to what you were talking about in the beginning, where like they've chosen politically, they've chosen a narrative that cuts against that. And they're maybe trying to pull tease out from history more than history is able to actually provide. Yeah. But, like what they, they explicitly say when they they will get near to material conditions, they will gesture towards them and then they will stop the, st- the text and be like, uh, yeah, if we take this too far down this road, then human agency gets lost. We can no longer see where humans had any power over their conditions. And since we're trying to get people to be politically active in the here and now, we want them to think the opposite. That we want to emphasize, hey, look at history, what people have been able to do when they've cooperated. Yeah. We can do that now. And I think that is a, uh, a useful uh, thing to want to do. The problem with it, though, is that to do it, they have to fatally undermine our ability to actually grasp the conditions that we're going to be working through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If we're going to do political action, uh, activism, and we're going to be political agents, some might say you and yeah, go ahead. If you if you say here's what people have done, without telling the half of the story that is the imposed constraints of the material conditions, then applying. that idea of of autonomy to the present moment is going to leave you batting your head against a bunch of walls that, according to Grabgrow, shouldn't be there. Right, right. Um, because or, the thing that's because what's fundamentally uh, not grasped by them here is that they might have made an argument in this book that there was a time that there is not some straight line of of uh, of development along you know a state route determined by agriculture. I, I, I even I will give them the, that they prove that to me as 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 much as I could have any belief because you know like I said I haven't done I'm not an expert but like as something to carry on in my head as just like a pocket bit the way we do with so many things that we don't really know that much about but which like make intuitive sense to us so we feel confident just believing them I'll believe them when they say that hmm. uh, I'll believe them that they say that that there that there was not a straight line but there was a cycle there was there was a, a sort of a churning social world where different uh, polities would bounce off of one another and then in that encounter shape and shift and of course the thing that's making these shifts and shifts is all cycles of nature and cycles of of you know material conditions yeah uh, something imposed uh but that people were able to go with the flow literally uh until you know those carcinogenic bunk- carbuncles start sprouting uh, around uh, agricultural or urban uh, places uh, in the Eurasian, and, and they really pointed out it is really in Eurasia where this is where this really dominates. Right. Uh, but at that point, they want to say, pretend basically that people under those regimes are the same like 
the same beings as the ones living in the more free world. And what that ignores is that what allowed for that free flow in the humans that he's talking about, that they're talking about, the, this inspiring moment of, of improvisation and political uh, uh, rigor and auton and like the preservation of values of, of equality and autonomy collectively, uh, it's all premised on a personal relationship between the individual human beings and their natural environment mm -hmm. that is literally alienated over time from people who live under conditions of hierarchy uh, within class society. Right. A and that that process eventually unleashed overwhelms every other alternative way of life. Right, right, right. And They're turns those people into people who are now as alienated as those other people and are as incapable of falling back on the sustenance of nature to make up for uh, you know, their vulnerability in interacting in a, in a group setting. Like, that's the final check that allows these societies to, to uh, evolve the way they do is that at the end, and he talks about it, one of the three rights that uh, defines freedom, real freedom for humans is the freedom to go somewhere else. Right. And for the ability to go somewhere else, there has to be something else there. And the thing there about has to be an outside class society is yeah. that it destroys the outside. Yeah, it Sounds destroys like that. There's nowhere to go. Right. You can, you're still just going to be an isolated person who is not uh, capable of self-sustenance in the world around you in natural environment. Uh, and every other person you're going to encounter is like you and is under the same regimes of control that you are. We've been and enclosed so, upon. For exactly. You have been years, enclosed upon. Closed upon. Uh, and so then if you try to do a progressive enclosure too. And so if you have to, you try to do politics. You are stuck having to do them within these structures, because that's the only way you're going to be able to relate to the your fellow people, and that means that you have to give up the dream of uh, total consensus and totally preserved autonomous desire. Because it's not, you're, guess what? What you want isn't really what you want. And you can imagine in a world where you have this tie to nature that what you want somehow transcends, you know, a, a programmed and prescribed social reproductive agenda. But once you're inside, that's all there is. And so, like, prime, uh, giving that sort of autonomy and, and individuality primacy now means that all you can do is be a consumerist liberal, even if you're being a radical. Uh, the best, the best that you can do, and now we're gonna we're maybe into the to the real import of this. And I do want to go back uh, a, a little bit to the maybe before I I, I critique Occupy, <laughs> which is where yeah. of course Graeber himself was was a leader of, even though it wasn't supposed to have leaders. And this <laughs> book being very much a reflection, I think, of a particular political moment uh, ten years ago now. Uh, I, I do want to step back because I, I think we should um, we should continue the thread uh, or at least talk more about what it was that was powerful about this. I think uh, the great example that they give, um, which is about um, complex societies and agriculture, of course, is that for 5,000 years of human beings practicing something that looks like agriculture, they did not create um, monarchies. They did not uh, necessarily, in every case, throw up uh, ruling classes, uh, military case, heroic societies. In fact, it was there were relatively, as they argue, egalitarian cities in Mesopotamia, like Uruk, 
uh, which were trading with upland peoples who were outside of the urban sphere uh, in which uh, a sort of agricultural surplus was being created. And relatively, as, as they pull out from the evidence, relatively egalitarian uh, city-states existed, some of which would have had monarchs but seemed to have a very hands-off sort of approach to governance, which was mostly done by things like city councils and assemblies, relatively democratic sort of wards, as we would imagine them nowadays. It was, in fact, not agriculture itself in the surplus uh, that, 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 that brings us a sort of um, modern nation state as we would understand it with a charismatic, competitive leadership based on bureaucracy and administration. It wasn't that in, 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 instead was what they, I guess the, the term that anthropologists use is uh, schizogenesis. Right? Yes. It was instead people outside and they argue, and this is another convincing and fascinating point, too, that so much of the societies that people have created have been in opposition to others, which they yep. saw as their potential competitors or, or saw simply as people that they would define themselves against. So right. it is actually upland peoples, people who didn't live off of this agricultural surplus, looking down upon these, uh, these downland people uh, living in these relatively egalitarian cities who created an alternate form of culture, which was based on heroism, which was based on warfare, uh, which was based on ultimately the sort of seeds of the nucleus of uh, monarchy, such as it, it was, was patriarchal in a way that the, the urban population wasn't. Uh, and for Grabgro, uh, it's kind of funny, though, like to them, they to th this uh, thing they've sketched out is is their attempt to uh, get agriculture off the hook. Right. For the creation of, of, the, of uh, hierarchies and structures of power. But I look at this uh process that they lay out and in my mind you still at the end of the day blame the fucking agriculture because where how does this heroic society emerge it emerges in among outcasts from and people alienated by this organic structure which is going to happen yeah everything is going to have malcontents who can't be assimilated into a social it's just it's impossible not to have it's a question of what how what happens to them it just so happens how, that how are these, they processed these malcontents if they are rejected and then yeah. allowed to create more effective regimes of military power right, exactly, by yeah. using hierarchy, <laughs> yeah. by using hunter-worshipping cultural structures. They're going to take your shit. They're going to take your They're shit. They're going to win. They're going to. And then, boom, thanks for giving us this structure to extract surplus and create, you know, uh, uh, God hierarchies that we're coincidentally at the top of. Yeah, and then 5,000 years ago, they're, they're, we're going to synthesize this sort of competitive, heroic society with the bureaucratic administrative society. Exactly. And then we're going to have the doomed, demonic, modern state that we have as yeah. kind of like the push and pull of these two things. It's fascinating. Because it can't, if it cannot, I'm sorry to quote uh, Mussolini, but a revolution <laughs> is no worth nothing if it cannot defend itself. And the, the, the thing about all of these societies that Grabgro talked about is that they all either collapsed internally or they got rolled over by the nearest actual state structure. Right. And of course, it, their record is it's in a billion. They've never won. And to me, that's that's that is a teleology. I'm sorry. 